El primero de mayo. <laughs> Welcome back to another edition of the The Sandy Podcast. I am your host, Sandy Duesenberg Jr. Uh, today we're doing something a little different. I want to bring in one of the homies, um, someone that I've worked with in the past, someone that's been in a lot of different buildings and uh, is still in the industry and has a lot of knowledge on what's going on currently today in regards to media, but also sports, also music. But more importantly, can talk to us about the financial side of things. This is something where this podcast, I want to take it and broaden it to where you're not just coming to me for NBA takes. You're not just listening to basketball conversations, but you know, I've had people on here that can talk about tennis for an hour. I've had people come on here and talk about baseball. We've, we've talked about the media industry and things like that. And my next guest can kind of do all of that and, you know, give you some insight to how to get your money right. So I want to welcome into the DCMD podcast, uh, a homie, a, a former colleague, um, someone that has done major things. And I've seen this, this, this person move from one major media company to another. Um, we want to welcome Cassius and Cassius, thank you for, for giving me your time and thank you for pulling up to the DCMD podcast. Yo, you, you type gas me up in that intro, man. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> nah, nah, always, man. You know, I, I, I like to give people their flowers because I think that's something where we we take these jobs and we have these these positions and we just look at it as regular. Like where you've gone from and what you've had to go through to get there, that's not regular. Like, so nah, I definitely want to make sure everybody that, you know, I, I try to share my platform with gets those flowers. No, nah, no, nah, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's definitely been a long journey through, you know, uh, ESPN, the CBS, um, and now Spotify. So I'm just trying to continue just to keep climbing, yo. So I appreciate that. No doubt. Like, I, I know, obviously, that there's so much going on in the world of sports media. But I think one thing me and you have kind of connected on just in terms of, you know, watching how you move on, on, on social media and things like that is you're very much about being well covered you're obviously well versed in the sports media because of where you've been through in terms of prior places and obviously where you're currently working now but in regards to your your financial literacy journey how did that come to be what what made that stand out to be something that you wanted to like really dig into and learn so much about yeah i think for me um you know a while a while ago my mother set me up with a custodial account um with stocks but you know at the time you know she didn't really know what she was doing <laughs> you know what i'm saying but she set me up with like a little bit of microsoft stock back in the day um so I, i've always kind of been into the stocks and stuff like that but i never really took it serious because i just didn't really know when you 16 17 18 even in college you're not really thinking about that kind of stuff that much you know like in over the years like i might have bought like one or two three shares and thought i was doing something but i wasn't you know, so sometimes, you know, it's that hindsight 2020 thing is like you kick yourself like, damn, you know, I should I wish I would have bought Tesla when it was $30 or some of these things. Um, but but I think now just, you know, with the pandemic, unfortunately, um, you know, I think a lot of people, especially black people started getting into this. And I think that it's really a good thing and it's important. Um, and I think just kind of looking at it, I you know, we were stuck in the house all day. So I really started to say, you know what, let me take this serious and really study and watch the shows and read the articles and do all these kind of things. And that's kind of what kind of started learning how it works. I don't know everything. There's still a lot that I do want to learn. And there's 
you know, professionals out there who are doing great things. But, you know, it definitely has given me much more insight where I feel comfortable at least helping people that are beginners to kind of get in and get their feet wet. And I, I, I can't front like that's kind of how I kind of noticed that you were in that bag is seeing you offering, you know, help to people online. And I think that was so dope just from a perspective of, you know, you, you know, people, you work with people and you kind of think, you know, them, but seeing you get into that bag and, you know, um, offering yourself to give advice to people and, and th- things like that, and just giving out free game to people, I think was so dope. And that was, that was like, yo, he's, you know, I, I obviously don't have that same type of financial background as you, but I think just in the sense of, you know, probably we came from the same perspective of, I want to learn more about this. I know this is something that I can and should be able to take advantage of. So with like myself, you know, I kind of had to learn through the faults of my parents, like watching my parents go through ills of, you know, dealing with bread and, you know, trying to figure out the credit game and, you know, stocks and bonds and all of that stuff and watching them go through that. It kind of made me like, all right, I see them trying, but for whatever reason, it's not clicking. So how can I connect the dots and get into that bag? So like, for me, I was like on CNBC heavy, Susie right, right. books, all that type of shit. Jim Cramer. I was like trying to figure out all that type of stuff. So like, was any of that part of your journey as well? Or basically your mom's really held you down. Like that's something that's like so grateful and amazing that she was able to hold you down with like a stock out the gate and especially a blue chip one like Microsoft out the gate. So where, where did you advance that once you understood what, what you had growing up into progressing into adult and then being able to transition to giving out free game yeah so i mean like with microsoft my mom i think she started me out with like 10 shares you know what i'm saying something small but i mean to your point also like with our parents like they just didn't have access to the information exactly you know and i I think that's the problem especially you know in our community you just don't have access to that info it's there but nobody's telling you these things and then i even looked at my life i'm like yo i didn't like you know, I'm on the internet all day in college or whatever. I'm not really thinking about that because nobody's right. telling you, yo, you need to think about these things long term. So I think <clears throat> I really had to start buckling down. So I did. I used to watch Jim Cramer before. I used to watch it here and there, but I just didn't take it serious. Right. And I think now just being locked in the house, like I was watching Cramer. Um, I was reading articles in like Barron's, um, mm. Seeking Alpha, uh, Motley Fool, like all of those stock websites. Um, and really investing, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a hard thing. Like, yes, there are charts and numbers and earnings reports. Like a lot of that stuff, I don't know the intricate levels of it. Right. But right. I do know, yo, I'm on a Mac computer all day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yo, I'm on an Xbox all day. Yo, my pantry, I might have some Coca-Cola down there. Like there's a stock mm. almost to everything inside your house. And I just started looking at it from that perspective. It's like, yo, this doesn't have to be that hard. We're using everyday things from video games to TVs to streaming sites to hardware, um, fintech, like money, cash app, and all those kind of things. Like, There's a stock all over the place for these things. And I just started looking at, okay, it's 2021. By 2030, what's still going to be around? Apple's still going to be around. Mm. Microsoft's going to be around. Nike's going to be around. These are companies that are going to be around. We have kids and we're, you know, grandfathers or whatever. So that's kind of my mentality, how I started looking at it. And then I just started doing more research, reading articles. There's always going to be a bull in a bear case, right? 
one article is going to be like, yo, this is going to go up to eight hundred dollars. And then there's another, another article that might say, yo, this is going to zero. <laughs> you know, so I kind of yeah. had to really read and research what each company is doing. And I kind of just started to look at it from that point of view. I'm like, you know what? I, I think this works. And I don't really invest in nothing I don't believe in. So if I don't believe in it, it's like, I'm not going to do it. Like, yeah, I wish I could have made some money on Dogecoin or GameStop or something like that when I saw them trends going crazy. Right. But I'm just not that type of investor, which sometimes you want to take some risk. I did it. I took some risk in some areas, but, you know, I, I like looking at the long term picture for me. No, I think exactly what you said is something that, you know, I, I also kind of believe in, like, it's something where I like Nikes. All right, word. So I'll cop some Nikes, but then I'll make sure to go grab, you know, a stock or two of, of Nike just to make sure. So while everybody else is running around copping Jays and reselling and flipping all of that, like, I still got some stock in Nike. So like, right. all of y'all that's copping Nikes, word, salute. Because when those dividends come in, you know, I get my right. kickback, you know what I'm saying? So, right. you know, right. I, I, I think that's so important that that point that, that, that you made, I think everyone who's listening right now has something right now that they can go buy. And it's not a crazy share. It's not like a, a Google type stock price where it's like two G's a share, but something exactly. that's like respectable under a hundred dollars or maybe a little bit over a hundred dollars. I think it just go cop a share or two and you just feel better about yourself. I know I do when, when I roll by a Nike store, and I see dudes coming out with three, four bags. I'm like, word, good looks. Like, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's like something that's so simple to just be able to, like, like you said, walk around and, and look around what's in your, your, your kitchen, your cabinets, your living room, whatever. I'm like, yo, I own a part of this company. And it might just be one share, but that's just, just get in the game. I think it's something that I always try to tell people is like, you know, it may be hard to understand. And there's certainly layers to it that I can't put people on too, but just a simple fact of you like Nike, then go cop at least a couple of shares. And then maybe six months or a year from now, check back in and then either reap those benefits or reinvest and maybe cop another couple of shares. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be that hard. We're not asking you to become Warren Buffett, but I think just in a simple facet of invest in what you actually believe in. Like you said, like I try to buy, I, you know, obviously, you know, I don't put all my stuff out there, but I got Apple, you know, mm -hmm. I got Amazon, not early, mm -hmm. but I got like, but so it's like the stuff that I use, I got prime. So I use Amazon. So right. I'm going to try to recoup some of that bread back, but it's just like, yeah, just, just having some sort of belief system in where you're putting your money and having that wherewithal to understand that if you invest your money into things that you actually use, I can't see you losing. Like, yes, it is a risk, right? Putting anything into the stock market potentially is a risk. But as you said, if you're forward thinking and looking down the line and looking at companies that are blue chip stocks or just companies that you know aren't going in the way, aren't going away anytime soon, then what's the real risk in investing? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I also think, you know, our generation or and even below us, people want to make money fast. Right. You know, so when, when I saw Dogecoin jumping, I almost got into it. Like Elon was about to be on, on Saturday Night Live. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, it might spike. And I said, you know what? No, it's not. And I didn't put the money in. And from there, it's going back down to 20 cents. Mm. Mm. So if I would have put that bread in, I would have lost. I wouldn't have put a lot in, but maybe I would have put $100, but I would have right. lost that bread. Right, right. 
So it was like, I never really believed in it in the first place. Again, people made money. I'm not hating on nobody that, that got coin off of it. I'm just saying I didn't believe in it at the particular time. And if I would have put it in, just trying to follow the hype train, I would have lost that money. And, you know, I put that hundred into Apple or something that is sturdy, it's slow growth. You know, I made my returns back. Facts. So I think that's also another thing that people need to know is, you know, finding penny stocks and stuff like that stuff is good. I've found a couple penny stocks that made some bread and it was cool, but there's a lot of them that don't. And you don't really, you don't hear the, the bad stories about investing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you read these articles, this so-and-so made a million dollars because he put a hundred thousand on Doge. This person put a thousand on Tesla and made this. You don't hear the stories about like GameStop. There were people that borrowed money on margin on their, on their accounts. Yikes. And when that joint crashed back down, they owed money. They owed like 80,000 back or 50,000. Wow. So that happens. And there was a kid, I think he committed suicide. He was trying to do option calls or margin calls or something. And I think it was a mistake on the account. It was an error, but he thought he owed like a hundred stacks and he committed suicide because he didn't know what he was doing or it was an error on Robinhood's side, which I don't know what happened with the case, but you know, you don't hear those stories too often. You just hear the success stories about people who made a bunch of money and then you think I could do it too. And then you end up taking an L in a lot of ways with your money. So it's, it's dangerous too. Yeah. Yeah, like that, that that whole thing with like you mentioned Elon, like when he got crazy into Bitcoin and Bitcoin started going crazy, like 60 plus grand, you know, a, a share or whatever. Like there were people saying like, yo, dog, get in now because it's, it's, it's going to be 100K. And then he kind of had to moonwalk back off how he felt about Bitcoin. I don't know if that was the, the government pressuring him or whatever. But uh, now it's it's back into the 30s. And like imagine all those people who thought because Elon co-signed it, it and it took off like all right now i'm gonna get in like getting in on bitcoin at like 60 grand when it's in. now half it. that like i you lost a lot of money I, and it's like it's insane and that's the scary like no man should have that much power though facts that's one thing i've been looking at on twitter like he really moved markets by tweeting right like that's kind of insane i know like the sec and the government had to be looking at that like yo you manipulating money like that kind of way. Real shit. And yeah. Tesla does have Bitcoin in their um on their books and stuff like that. Mm. So man's might have just been, yo, I'm about to G it up and let's just sell some real Short quick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And you know, these people do that kind of stuff, the big hedge funds and everything. That's why the GameStop thing was so crazy. You know, these people want to short stuff. So you just never know. But nobody should have that much power. But it sucks for little people like me and you. Because we following him. Oh, yeah, I'm buying right now. And then he came back and said, yo, Bitcoin is not good for the environment. And then that joint dropped. Yeah. It's, you know it's, what I'm saying? So it's, he, he got all that kind of power. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's why this game is it's a dirty game, man. It's, it's wild. And, and and that's why I think, you know, be, be, because of the pandemic, everyone's trying to get in because we're hearing about crypto and NFTs and everything that, that comes associated with that from from someone from with, with your perspective who's done some work and has kind of you know learned yourself about this this whole game in this industry is is the whole crypto nft angle more i mean i know it's probably more higher risk high reward than like a, a traditional mutual bonds or mutual funds or e, or etfs is is are we getting to the point now where if you're a youngin trying to get into the game that 
you should probably go more into the crypto side or the NFT side than like the traditional, you know, mutual funds and the bonds and the ETFs. Hmm. I, you know that I don't really know much about crypto in in that sense. Like I have bought some. I hope I ha I have some of it just because mm -hmm. it's something that's obviously here and is going to be here for a while. Right. So I think you'd probably be crazy not to invest a little bit of your money in it. I just go with what I know mostly. You know, NFTs are interesting. Like I do the NBA Top Shop stuff, and I bought some of them here and there. But I think the thing with the NFT craze is most of the sales I've been seeing have been from like rich people. Right. Who's who's got an NFT that's a normal average Joe that made paper stack off of it? I haven't seen that. I'm sure maybe there's some people there, but every time I see an NFT, it's something silly, and it's somebody that has money. So. I don't, for the NFTs, I haven't seen the value in it. I know a lot of people are doing it and it'll probably catch on, but I don't even hear much about NFTs anymore. Like you heard of a couple initial, somebody made 500K off something, 200K here, but I haven't heard much about it since. And I'm on NBA Top Shot and I bought some cars and stuff and I'm looking, I'm like, what's really the value at the end of the day if I don't get a rare car? Like if I don't get a, a LeBron James card or a Jordan right. card or something, and is where's the value at? So NFTs, I'm kind of, I don't see it yet with that. Crypto, I believe in. I think crypto is going to be something big. I don't. I'm still researching it. I don't have a lot of money into it, mm -hmm. but it's obviously something that is here to stay, and people are interested in it. Once the once the government starts taxing something, I think they know. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. so I, I guess that that is something that they're aware of that is a driving force in the economy. And see, the, the, the thing I never understood about the top shots in, in the NFT, and maybe you can explain it to me so, so I can get a better grasp on it, because I didn't jump in, but I was curious as hell. Right. But mm -hmm. to me, it was like, well, do I do I own the highlight? Like, is it is it mine, mine or is it I own this version of it online like i can never understand if i buy a top shot what do i actually own like if someone else has that same clip they obviously own whatever their version of it is so what exactly am i owning when i buy a top shot right so exactly what it is is you do own a version of it so most of the highlights are minted from maybe one to like a thousand Okay. So if you have a, a, a two or a three, then you have value. If your highlight is mint number 800, you don't really have value. So that's kind of mm -hmm. how it goes. So they make drops and there's 20,000 packs or whatever they give out. And it's pretty much based on like seven highlights. So that's 20,000 20, people getting some of the same highlights, just different editions of it. That's really what it is. So if you get a one, uh, yo, you made some money. If right. you get 800, 900, or 1,000, you're not really having any kind of value and nobody's going to really want to buy it. So that's how the top shot works. So I haven't got anything that's been nowhere near high whatsoever. So who's going to go buy a version, you know, edition 1,000 from me? Right. When there's so one through five. So if, if, if you have the 1,000, you basically got to wait for the 999 others to go before yours becomes valuable is that more or less i don't i don't think it's that it is it, it, it's an auction system so i can auction it off if somebody wants that particular highlight uh, gotcha. i may sell it a little bit lower than you like if you hold 10 and i hold a thousand 
well, yours is more valuable, but you may charge, you know, 10000 for it. I may be charging 1000 for it. If you just want that highlight, I would guess you would come to me. But I guess it just depends what it is. So that's kind of how it works. And then, you know, you're not always getting top highlights. Sometimes you get a jump shot. Right. <laughs> like, what am I going to do with a jump shot? Sometimes you get a Zion dunk. Okay, that's worth something, possibly, down the right. road. Or LaMelo or, you know, John Morant or something. And other times you might get, you know, a three-pointer or a layup. It's like, what is the value with that? So I, I'm still, I'm still on it. I haven't purchased a pack in a while because they do like pack drops, and you gotta like wait in line to get it. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't really touched it in, in a long time. Yeah, that's that 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 whole thing fascinated me because like, oh, that that could be really dope. But then the the logistics of it maybe just be like, all right, this this is too much of a question mark. I don't really understand, so I'm just gonna fall back. But I do exactly. think like. In the future, if they could flush that out, I don't know how they can improve it, but if, if they can flush it out, that could be huge. And obviously, with the league being behind it, you already know that they think that there's going to be some real long-term bread behind it. So I'm, I'm here for the whole NFT thing. I just wish I could understand it a little bit more before it's too late. Um, I know for me, I've, I've dabbled a little bit in crypto. Um, mm-hmm. I do stuff through Cash App because they give you like a little bullshit boost of like Bitcoin yep. if you spend bread or whatever. So like, I just kind of do my little bullshit that way. Like I, obviously I'm not dropping no 30 grand a share for no damn Bitcoin, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I, I think as, 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 as you said, as long as people just get in somehow, some way, even if it's Ethereum or Litecoin or some of these other smaller ones that people are waiting for, like, like it's the next Dogecoin. I think if you just invest something, I think just having people have that knowledge of, yo, I'm putting this money in, like, we, like to me, I take it like how how Harlem dudes do it. Like, everyone's looking for a flip. All right, I put this hundred <laughs> in, you know what I'm saying? And all right, I'm looking for this flip on this doge or this Shiba flip, or, or whatever. The flip slam. Right, I know a lot know of homies that's the flip slam. Right. So it's like, all right, you know, I, I, but just that base understanding, I think, will just help people to get involved. Because I think somehow, for, for some weird way, people understood investing into doge and the whole GameStop thing more than investing into blue chip stocks and just buying and holding. Like for some yep. reason, the flip aspect of it made it more like of a, of a working knowledge and more understandable for people than, all right, dog, just buy those couple of shares of Apple and then just hang on. Like, well, nah, I want to flip. Like, nope, don't touch it. Like, le- le- just leave it yeah. alone. Like, that, that's yeah, it. And I, yeah, I tell people, get in where you fit in. Nobody's a professional in this. Honestly, Nobody knows what anything is going to do. You can have analysts all day. Analysts were saying to sell Tesla years ago, and that joint, boom. So I tell people, get in what you, where you fit in. Like, if you want to do a GameStop joint, do it. Or AMC, if you want to do the meme stock and make your bread, do it. If you want to be a long-term investor, do it. If you don't want to invest, you know, I mean, I don't suggest it. But if you want to put it in an index fund that's safer or slower growth, you know, there's always there's different ways to invest. You know, you don't have to try to find you know, nobody's going to become a millionaire overnight. Well, I mean, I'm sure some people have, but, you know, just do what makes you feel comfortable, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think as, as long as you're in the game is the main thing that matters. I think it's, it's there's too much money that could be made, whether it's long money or short, fast money. There's too much of it that could be made by people who look like you and I that we, we should definitely not be on the sidelines. No, um, Absolutely. So I think the one one more thing for me in regards to just hardcore financial, um, black excellence, literacy, all that type of stuff is obviously, you know, 
a lot has been made about education reform. Should this be taught in schools? Where where does this information need to be passed down from? If it's not from your parents or a close family member or friends or family, whatever, where where do you think this needs to begin? If we were, if 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 I make you a, a superintendent and you have control of a public school system, where mm-hmm. do you think where are you dropping in the curriculum financial literacy for our youngins? Yeah, I think. You definitely need it. You know, I look back on school and half the stuff I learned is non-existent now. Nobody Word. really cares. I don't remember what my SAT score was and teachers <laughs> swore to me back in the day, your SAT score will follow you for the rest of your life. I haven't, nobody's asked me about my SAT score. I don't even know, even when the test was over, <laughs> nobody's right. asked me about it. But I could have got information about a down payment on a house or programs or you know, stocks or savings accounts and interest. I could have got those. That's Those are lifelong things that are going to follow you around. So that should be in schools. Even if it is a, a financial literacy class, that it should be part of the curriculum in some form or fashion. Because it, it just, the information we're learning, and, you know, we could get too deep into it. A lot of information was false anyway, if you want to get right. to this context. Yes, <laughs> but we could have, we, we could have, I could have used that information about the markets or something because I'm doing it now. And everything that I learned back then, yes, you need the basics of math and, and reading and, and all those kind of things. And But the financial part of it, it could have saved a lot of people from, you know, knowing things. We just didn't know. And I think that's the hardest thing looking back like, you know, I'm about to be 33. It's like, damn, all through my 20s, mm-hmm. what was I doing? You know, and, I wasn't doing, I was oblivious. I didn't know. Right. I just didn't know about anything. So many shortcuts and corners that you don't know about. You know, so many programs that are out there that could benefit Black people that they just hide from us, you know? So it's it's, it's really a crazy thing. But I'm glad that now people are getting into it. You know, I think... You know, sometimes social media could be so territorial, like, oh, now y'all want to buy stocks? Well, I've been to, it's like, don't be corny like that. You should be happy that your nice. brothers and sisters are getting on and learning about these particular things. But everybody wants to be so, I was first, I did this, so I'm doing this. Nah, share the information and, right. and help people because that's the right. only way we're going to get ahead in, in that kind of way. For sure. And, and and I think, you know, if you teach it in the schools, right, like those students are going to come home and maybe put their parents on. So now the parents might jump in and now it might be a whole learning experience where you're teaching the child and the child has come home and the roles are reversed. And now the child is the teacher teaching their own parents. And now the parents could start to build and maybe switch up and maybe build something that would have been unforeseen if the child wasn't initially taught by the school system. Like, so I think it's like a, it could be a multi-pronged approach if they really took it seriously, like most of us yeah. don't need algebra. Most of us don't need calculus. Like me and you, I'm assuming, I know I had like a, a communications background in terms of my college degree. I didn't need any of that advanced algebraic calibrated calculus. I didn't need any of that <laughs> shit when I went to college. Like that shit went in one ear out the other as soon as I left high school. So it was a waste. But if you could have gave me the knowledge of, you know, understanding at least baseline f- fundamentals of stocks, I could have put myself on and then maybe help my parents out and got them out of a jam 
by teaching them. So right. it's like, it's, it's a real simple thing to just give the information out. Like, I don't understand. Well, I mean, low key, we both kind of understand why they're not giving the information out, <laughs> but it's like, damn dog. Like you don't even want to give the baseline information. I'm not, I'm not asking you to give me the full blueprint, but don't, don't like not show me the tools. Give me the yeah, tools and then I can figure it out. Yeah, they can't have the information now. I think that's a good thing. The information isn't hidden anymore. You can yeah. go get it if you want to. And I think that's what I try to tell people. Yo, it's out there. You can go get it or you can just sit around, which is cool. Do what you need to do. But the information is there. And it's there. We're on our phones all day. We got Google. We got everything. So it's there, you know? Are, are we still on that Wu-Tang type of time where we where we have to diversify our bonds? Are we still on that type of time in 2021? I, you know, I, I haven't really jumped into the bond game too much. I, I did, um, I did have like a, uh, I, I don't even know what it was, but like a robo advisor joint okay. that had some bonds in there, but I haven't really researched bonds that much in which I, I probably need to, cause it is a way to hedge in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's, that's something where I, I always remember RZA and, and fucking Jizza talking about that shit. And I would try to understand and try to look up into it and, I could just never get into that. But I did take that, though, and then flip it forward with, with the ETFs. And the ETFs, to me, I think is the closest thing I could get to getting into diversifying bonds and all that shit. And right. I, I think with ETFs, the, the gold with that is you can own all these different companies we've talked about. You can find all of them in one fund. Like, mm -hmm. you could find Apple, Google. Right. You could get this, the, the S&P 500 in one joint. Like, you could just... It's, it's that easy to get in, like how many you have talked about, like that's the tools. Like if you just had the baseline knowledge of that, you don't have to go and buy each each individual stock because you might not have the bread. But if you could find the one fund that has the majority of those or even all, if you want to go into S&P 500, like you could just invest in that one ETF and watch that grow. It might not be the- Over the years. You know, yeah. It'll be yeah. eight, nine percent over the next couple of years, but that's better than like any bullshit, you know, online savings account or anything like that, where you're barely getting half a percent interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad I've had you here and I definitely want to make sure I, I promote your stuff here. So uh, we have Cassius with us. Uh, if you want to follow him on IG, uh, it is Quinn Juice, Q-I-N-J-U-I-C-E. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's a great Twitter follow as well at cflem88, C-F-L-E-M-88. We going to get into the finals or not? Nah? Yeah, I mean, I, that's exactly what I was waiting for. Okay, okay. We know, <laughs> we know, we know, you know, so, I, I mean, your day of reckoning is coming. How is coming. it? D-Book was amazing last night. Well, come on now. Uh, he, you, wasn't? You know, he was amazing last night, but we, you know who we talking about. You know, you don't I want mean, to say his name. I know who you want to talk about and who everyone you else know. wants to keep telling me about. But I mean, word, he followed D Book's lead last night. I, I, I uh, think it's here great. You go. He did it. There you go. I mean, if here I drop twelve in the first quarter and I set the tone, and then you know, man's come through in the third quarter doing the same thing I did in the first. I mean, what, what, what's it like? What's what's your, what's your deal with CP3? I don't think I've never really asked you. Oh, what I mean, is the CP3 thing with you? I mean, all right, well, look, you, you, you've you played ball, right? 
whether street or organized, you you you've played basketball, right? Yes, he has done some things that yes, no man should be doing on the basketball court. So all right, so it I starts do. there, right? That's so, the yes, one. I know that. Okay, so right there, that's already strike one to me. Then you go into the fact of how he plays the game of basketball, where he has to micromanage every single thing about the game. And understand mm-hmm. as a point guard, because that, that's the position I used to play back in the day. So I, I, I'm very hard on point guards because, you know, I was raised to be a, a facilitator. Like, that's how I was taught to, to, to play the game. So if you're not a facilitator or if you're, you're micromanaging the game so much just to facilitate you getting the assist, I look at that in a weird way. It was like, yo, it's not that serious. You don't have to get every assist. You don't have to be involved in every single pass. You can still instruct mm-hmm. dudes where to move to still get the play to go in motion. So to me, how he, like, it's 30 dribbles per possession just to get a couple of passes off where he has to get the assist. So for me, the way he plays the point guard position, I think is a little overblown. It's a little bit heavy-handed. So that, to me, is strike two. Mm-hmm. Then strike three to me is his labor movements. Like I'm a guy that, you know, before I got into media, I worked in healthcare. And when I was in healthcare, I was a, a, a union delegate, like an, elect, an elected union delegate. So I was in meetings dealing with labor laws and, and dealing with union contracts and saving people from getting fired and helping people get raises and getting retroactive pay, all that type of stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. When, when he became the head of the MBPA and then he goes and becomes the lead guy for the latest CBA negotiations and he's changing bylaws that only directly affect him, which well, goes I, against well, I, the whole principle of being the head of the NBPA. I can't, I can speak on the court. I don't, I can't speak on that part. I think you're going too far with that part. I don't, I don't, but I don't know the information to talk about. But All right, well, okay, bet. All right, so on, on let me lay it out, though. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's the head of the MBPA. His job is to, to, to negotiate a contract on behalf of not just him, not just whole, LeBron and D-Wade and them, but the whole rank-and-file players, right? All 400-whatever players. He adjusted one bylaw that only affects him. So that, I mean, that, that to me goes against what you were elected to do. The young players now in the league have to play two more years because you push the age limit for a max contract to 38 instead of 36. Because if it would have stayed at 36, he wouldn't have got them 40 M's from Phoenix. And he wouldn't be about to get 50 M's after this year. So now players that are coming into the league younger and younger are going to have to play more years to get that last big contract because of CP. And he changed that bylaw just to specifically affect him and him only. So to me, it's like you took a position, a leadership role, and all you did was go for self. Like, so it's like, I can't even, like, that goes to a a different level of fraudulence. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it'd be, it's like you're, you're, you befriended a whole body, got elected to be the head of the, in, in a play, uh, the head of the players union, and then you robbed the players to help yourself. I, I don't know much about it. I, I, I will look into that. 
I don't know much about that. I, I okay. can't, so I can't speak to it from your perspective on that. Basketball-wise, yes, the 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 groin punch stuff in college that wasn't a good look. I, I I can't defend that. On the floor, yes, he has the tendency to get on people's nerves. We heard it with the Clippers, with Blake, with DeAndre. You heard about that a lot, and you know I can remember the the one the one time DeAndre didn't put that put back up and time expired and CP was yelling at him. That was kind of crazy. And then him and Harden clashed in a lot of ways. So CP is not an easy guy to play with, I'm sure. But because he's a miniature guard, he has to be scrappy in that way. For me, I've always felt like outside of Isaiah Thomas, there's been no miniature guard to be the best team. I'm sorry, to be the best player on a team to win the NBA Finals. You can't find one outside of Isaiah Thomas. Unless I'm wrong. AI got that game one that was amazing, but he got right. cooked after that. So small guards, six feet, six feet guards cannot be your best player. So I've always looked at CP in that way where I'm like, yo, he's a small guard. He can't affect the game. And even though you're a point guard, you know, he does get some blame for blowing the 3-1 lead with the Clippers. That wasn't a good look. But he's had, you know, CP is like a mercenary. You drop him on a team, and he's changing your fortunes around. I thought he was done in OKC. I thought I was like, yo, it's over. And he got that team to a five seed. Then he goes to Phoenix, and they're in the finals. New Orleans, he was dealing with, I mean, that was around the time of Katrina, I, I believe. Um, yeah. When that, I mean, CP has a good track record of, of really – helping teams and bringing them up in a lot of ways. Just drop them on your team and put them as a centerpiece and you're going to the playoffs. And Phoenix unlocked it. Now, I'm not going to you know, take credit away from Deep Book. He's been cooking. Aiton, I think, has been great. I think after his first two years when people were like, ah, I don't know, he's been playing well. Crowder's doing well on the team. Um, Mikhail Bridges is balling. But CP3 is the catalyst that got this team from the eight and no start in the bubble. Everybody talks about that too. Oh, they were eight and no in the bubble. I, I don't look at that too much to me. But CP3 was that centerpiece in the middle of the Thanksgiving table that you're like, yo, that's that's what's carrying the rest of the squad here. Okay, so all right. CP is a great basketball player. I have never said that he wasn't, right? My only thing has been the hyperbole that that people give him and the, the 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 prophesizing that people do on his behalf and the cop playing that people do on his behalf is what has always befuddled me. If he's this good, and and, and I'm not I'm not saying you're saying this, but obviously mm-hmm. Mike Malone came and jumped out the window and said he's the second greatest point guard, if not the greatest point guard of all time. Well, like, well, yeah, that was that was my he's top five though. He's definitely top five. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't, but I, I can understand why he's top five. I'll even acquiesce and say, okay, I'll even let that go, right? But to be top five and to have these holes in his game is a little problematic in the grand scheme of things. Like, okay, Magic's hole was what? He couldn't shoot, right? And he wasn't mm-hmm. really that much of a score, but he could do mm-hmm. dance, and he didn't really play defense. But he's fucking six nine, and he could run the floor, and he could do things we've never seen a guard do. Right? So okay, 
we look past all that and let him obviously, you know, he's what got five rings to show for it. So magic to me is, is the bar. So when anyone starts talking, you know, best point guard of all time, I'm like, excuse me, Irv, like Irv still is breathing. Like as, as long course. as he's walking. Course, magic number one. Right. Okay. So now after that, it really depends on who you rock with. I'm a Zeke guy. So I put Zeke two. Mm-hmm. Now, Zeke's hole was another guy who didn't really play that much defense, despite the whole bad boys thing. But you had Dumars next to him. So. Yes, right. And Dumars was the one who would D up. Um, so it's like, all right, point guard in the terms of a facilitator, was he really? We'll give it to him. But Zeke's whole thing was, I can get a bucket anywhere. And I also know when to press the gas and go on transition. And then I know when to fall back and sit up to half court. So he had a feel for the game. So we let that rock. Now, after that, it's really subjective. I've seen people put Stockton up there at three. I've seen people put Clyde up there at three. Pearl. Stockton. Stockton's not there. I would say Oscar's up there. Big O has to be there. Yeah, big O's in there. I think Steph obviously is four. Oof, and for me, okay. CP three. And maybe Steph could be three, but maybe because mm. I, I, I don't know. But that that's my top five in there. And I think CP three closes out the top five. I think he's over Stockton. Somebody made the argument about J Kid, and I can see J Kid. I'm a big J Kid guy, but I don't know if being he's top, top five, five, right? Being there. Who else am I putting over CP3? Especially if he wins this championship, Stockton is gone out of there. What about GP? Stockton. I, I like CP better. Okay. I like CP. I, I think G, I don't think GP belongs in the top five. Mm, I don't think okay. he belongs in the top five. Okay. Uh, is is Marbury top ten? Hell no. Woo. And I love Steph. I love Steph, but no, absolutely not. I don't even know if you were serious about that. Were you joking? Hey, I'm, you I know, I, I'm a big Starberry guy, so I don't know if he's <laughs> top 10, but I always like to ask people, based off people's responses, that tells me where they, where they really put Steph. So the fact that he gave Steph. me that hell no lets me know Steph's probably not even in your top 20. So that's where Steph. I use it as, as Sup- the bar. Supremely talented point guard. Score his ass off and cross you up, but my God, there was some bad Knicks years when he came over. Was my that goodness. his fault, though? It, it, no, and I'm not gonna put it on him. But even when he was on the Nets, I mean, it, it I was mean, bad. It was no, bad. But I mean, he never had help. <laughs> He's he was a great I, I, passing point guard with no one to pass to. He had Keith Van Horn. Like, I get it. I, I get it. I get it, but my God, the Steph. But anyway, I don't want to even make this about Steph. But CP3 is top five, and if he wins the championship, I think he solidified top five point guard. I mm. think the five slot. I don't put him ahead of any of those guys you named. He's not ahead of Magic. That was crazy. He's not ahead of Steph. He's not ahead of Oscar or Isaiah, but I think he's five. And I don't think I don't think there's many arguments to go against him outside of maybe Jason Kidd. Jerry West? Ah, that's too... Back in the day, for too me, old. Okay, to, to, okay. To put, to put that in there, and he lost. He lost a lot of finals. Finals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Because I, I'm telling you, I think the the point guard conversation is so is so fun to have for me because it's like you really get to see what people value. 
because it's all subjective. Like I, I think people think because I feel the way that I feel that I can't listen to anybody else's. I can listen to anybody else's opinion, but if for me, I just stand ten toes down in what I think. But I'm always no, down for the conversation to to go back and forth and debate and and, and whatever. I'm always here for that. So no, he, no, you absolutely are. You you definitely have never wavered on that. So I, I give you that for sure. But like I said, when he wins his championship, I mean, you know, campaign you the MVP campaign. You have to eat. You have to eat crow. You just have to eat crow. All, look, all I, I know, know is that thing. campaign will be undefeated in the playoffs as a starting point guard in the point for all pleasant. <laughs> that that that's all I know. I know that that man, that man ran around Colorado and caught COVID, and the Phoenix Suns didn't miss a beat. They kept running off victories while the point for all was at the crib chilling. So, I mean, funny, you know, man. it's just, I You're mean, funny. it's like, all right, word, he's this impactful. They just plugged campaign and nothing nothing changed. Like, this, the winning still, all right, <laughs> okay. But, you know, I, look, I, I think one day we're going to have to have that Marbury conversation. I just, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll ask this one thing and then we'll move off Marbury. Hall of Famer? Ooh, a long pause. I like it. Okay. You know, I, I okay. really I really actually have to go back. I'm not going to lie. I'd have to go back and look at numbers and whatnot. 18 and if, 8. If if Chris Webber had to wait so long, and I value Chris Webber, well, he's a different position, so I don't know if I'm being fair in that, in that sense. But Chris Webber had to wait a long time. Too long. That was a no-brainer for me. Right. So if I have to hesitate and think, I'd say no to Steph, mm. especially if C-Web was one of my favorite players all time. If he had to wait that long, which I don't know, maybe there was some politics behind that. But for sure. Yeah, I, I don't I can't put I don't think I could put Steph in the Hall of Fame, but I'm going to go back and look at the numbers. I Nin- definitely go 19 and eight for Marbury. 19, eight and three, three boards. And, you know, the last couple of years was trash. So the assists were the, the numbers were better. Until those yeah. last couple of years, but at, at his career, nineteen and I round up, so it's seven and seven point six assists. So I just call that eight. Nineteen yeah. and eight for his career. I, I think it's hard to find too many point guards from that era that that are better than him. Like outside yeah. of the usual suspects, he's at least top five of his era. And if you're top five of your era, I think that puts you in the Hall of Fame conversation. I don't know if that gets you in. I would personally put Marbury, and I think he's horrifically underrated. I think KG sabotaged him in Minnesota, and that kind of set him off on a bad tra- trajectory. But I, I'm always pro Marbury, pro Starbury. Lo- love the China shit. The China shit might get him in it. By the way, anyway, all of this could be moot because that that he international did. aspect might might get him in. He, he did. A, he did. He was ahead of the curve on on the China stuff. He did. I remember watching that. Um, I forgot. I believe it's documentary, but it was yeah. something. He was like, you know, I saw it from a mile away in China. He's an icon over there, so I do give Steph that. That you know, because I remember there was one point where he was, you know, mentally he was losing it for a little bit. I mean, you know, he was, he was eating he was, Vaseline on camera, dog. He was, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was going through some things at a particular wow. time, you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the China thing definitely was amazing for Steph, for sure. So I, I don't know if you if you've been caught up on all this. Um, I, I I did a pod earlier today, but the the stuff with the nets in this book. Have you do do you know the details of the nets in this book? I have not. I did hear uh, an interview about um, KD deciding he wanted to go to the nets way before. I think during the finals with Golden State. Right. I saw a snippet of that. 
And I think the Knicks had called his pops and were trying to get his pops to make him come to the Knicks. And right. KD was like, no, I want. So I, I did hear that, but I haven't whole, heard the full thing. I kind of want to go back and kind of listen to that and then figure all of that out. Okay, so I, I'll give you a couple of bullet points ju- just to kind of p- pique your interest. Yep. Allegedly, and I'm going to make sure that's clear. Allegedly, yep. the Nets team, as a team, out of their own budget, are paying for players' girlfriends' apartments. Okay. Allegedly. Okay. Right. So, so, and I, I made the point on the pod, like, I don't know if they would pay for Nicholas Claxton's girlfriend's apartment, but I would, mm. if, if that's actually happening, it's got to be somebody in the big three, if not all three in the big three, right? Like, you're not paying mm. for TLC's side yeah. piece's what? apartment, like, you know, listen, that that's really a non-story to me. And and I've really? said it okay. before. I've said it before. There are just certain players that you just have to bend rules for. Facts. It's just the way this that's the way the world works. There's just certain people you're gonna look the other way because of what they can do. It, it, I'm sorry. There's just certain things like I go back when LeBron was in Miami and Pat Riley was like, No, your friends ain't coming on the plane. You ain't doing this, and LeBron got out of there. Right, but there's just certain things you have to do. There's certain people that get the cachet, you know, for KD, Kyrie, and Harden. I'm sorry if if I have to do that to get you here, I'm gonna do it. If it's off the books or behind the scenes, I'm sure there's so many behind the scenes things that go down in the NBA. I I wish I could get a book on all of that. Oh. I ain't condoned snitching nothing like that, but. Hey, dude. I mean, this. Do, do, do you know about the Doc Rivers one in, in Orlando with Tim Duncan? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I remember that was a story, right? About something about a plane and letting him fly with a plane, something like that. Yeah, he, he, he was offering that. Yeah, Doc Rivers forbid or forbade, I guess, is the term forbade Tim Duncan's family to ride on the PJ, and that's the one thing that Duncan said. I need this. I'll yeah, come to Orlando. Yeah. I'll leave the Spurs. But I need my family to be to be able to come on the PJ, and Doc said no. And yeah, that, that's, and, that's a bad look. <laughs> like imagine that's a bad look for Doc. That's another strike against Doc's resume. McGrady, Grant Hill, Duncan—that was the big three. It was going to happen. It was pretty much done. But Doc had to be Doc and be that fake tough guy shit, that fake Chicago shit, and said no. Yeah, Doc. Doc has a lot of blemishes on his resume. That's 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 not a good that's not a good look. But yeah, there's just certain players you got to do certain things for. Yes. Sorry, it yeah. it, it is what it is. I, I there's so many backdoor deals that happen. I even looked at Dirk in Dallas when he was signing these one year minimum vet men contracts. I'm like, Yo, Dirk, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And that might maybe maybe Mark Cuban, you know, got him some Shark Tank brand behind the scenes. Or right. I don't know. Right. You know, maybe he's yo. I look. I'll take care of you in this kind of way. You got to do certain things. You got to do certain things to get the guys you want to keep them happy. You just do. Well, well. Speaking of the Mavs, have you heard of this whole thing with this uh this this gambler that's like the shadow GM that's been pissing Luke off? I have not heard. See, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Are you putting me on a lot of game right yeah, now? Yeah, bro. Not, I'm, 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 I'm locked I'm, in, bro. Tell you, I be I be studying the team on all this shit. So. All right, so uh, obviously Rick Carlisle bounced and and Diane Nelson bounced. And uh, allegedly, the reasoning behind all of that, or the two of them bouncing, is because they leaked a story to The Athletic 
basically saying, yo, Cubans got this gambler, this like degenerate gambler dude, this analytic super nerd dude running everything behind the scenes. He's this shadow GM. He's dictating minutes, rotations, free agent signings. Like he's essentially running the Mavericks and no one understands how he has risen to power to assert someone with championship pedigree like Carlisle and Donnie Nelson. So that was the first part of the story. So then mm. Cuban immediately says, that's bullshit, fuck out of here, all that type of stuff. Then a yeah. next layer of the story comes out that says, yo, it's gotten to the point where this shadow GM has alienated Luca, and even Luca ain't rocking with Sun. Now everyone's taking it seriously because we all know that franchise goes as Luca goes, or at least that's what it's supposed to be. It should be, yeah. Right. You, you, you know, that's the funny, the analytics thing. I can remember a former player. I was talking to him one time, and he was telling me he, he couldn't get a job in the league. Mm. Or he might have had one, or he couldn't get one in the league. And he was, he was like, yeah, you know, some of these young kids, they, they come up to me, and they're asking me certain things about basketball, this and that. And they were analytics kids. And he was like, I would turn my head. And they jumped ahead of me and they got hired in these places. I'm like, yo, I'm I'm played in the league. I've put in and this was like a vet, like a, a solid vet. Wow. And he was just like, yo, the analytics, and this was kind of before the craze started happening, but he was just explaining the struggles of I'm a former player and they're gonna go get this dude, you know, who does analytics and punching numbers on the calculator, but they're not respecting my knowledge as an NBA vet. Right. Or that I know how to build a team, the eye test at all. And so, yeah, this was, this was years ago. This was at least 2015 when I had this conversation. Wow. wow. And that's that. I'm sure that's still happening to this day because the, the analytics thing has only grown. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, and, and it's a way, obviously, of, you know, making sure certain people of certain colors don't get hired. Because if you need to go to MIT and have all these advanced analytical backgrounds, that's predominantly not going to be black and brown people. That's predominantly not going to be former players because when are they going to have the time to, to do such a thing? But I think Ken yeah. Johnson's getting his thesis right now, but he's an anomaly. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. how, how can you ingratiate former players into being hired when you set up the system for them to fail? I, I, I definitely would want to see a breakdown of analytics, teams, coaches versus non because one example I remember when the Grizzlies, um, Holland, or, uh, is that his name? Yeah, like Hollins. The, 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 the yeah, Hollins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Jaeger got the job after, and their reasoning was analytics. And the team absolutely did not change. It was the same exact team, the same exact results. So I'm like, you just got rid of a veteran coach and you brought in the younger coach because he knows analytics. And the team stayed exactly the same. Right. They still couldn't shoot. They still couldn't do anything. Right. And, he, and it was just like, that's the analytics? And where's where's the big change? And, and trust. I, I worked with I worked with Hugh at, at Sirius XM on, on NBA radio for a little bit. And he's still salty. <laughs> he is still Lionel Hollins. Yeah, Lionel Hollins, yeah. Lionel, Lionel, Lionel Hollins, yeah. So he's yeah, still he's he's still salty about that shit. And uh, I, I don't blame him because, yeah, he definitely got ran out of there for no real reason. It was just. Yeah, team did not moved. get any better. Right. 
Right. Teams did not get any better. They stayed exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, it's that that part of of the industry in terms of hiring practices is such a it's a dirty market, right? It's a, it's such a dirty swamp land where we all know it's happening, but we can't really say what it really is, even though it's quite obvious what it really is, because you know using the R word in terms of racist is is such a bugaboo now where even just the mention of that word, people like shriek and, and get ultra defensive, but I don't know what other word to describe valuing computers and, and calculators and advanced metrics over I've played this game for X amount of years, or I've coached this game or scouted this game X amount of years. Somehow all those years of data don't mean shit to whatever computer code you punched in to analyze all these metrics. Like, I don't understand yeah, that think, disconnect. Yeah, and I think you do need analytics in some formal ways. I don't think it should actually take over the entire game. But there should be a combination of both. It should be an eye test. It should be chemistry. You can't, you can't learn about chemistry through numbers. Some guys flow well on the floor. Like, there's just so many different things that go into a locker room that a calculator just can't foresee. Right. It just doesn't work. So I do think it's, you know, it's definitely something you should use um, in addition, but I think it should be a balance. It should be a balance of both. Do Do you understand box plus minus? Because I don't. I look at it. I, I look at some of those numbers a lot, but just, sometimes it can be misleading. Yeah. Sometimes you see a dude with his plus minus, he might be minus 30, and the team is getting a W. Or and so sometimes that I think that can be misleading in a lot of ways. But I haven't delved deep into the advanced metrics in that kind of way. I, I understand most of them, but I haven't dig that deep into it to, to really look. I just watch the game. And if I'm saying, hey man, we're putting you in pick and rolls all day. Right. So this guy's not rotating enough. That's exactly. enough for me. Plus minus yeah. sometimes is very can, can be very misleading. Well, take 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 it last night in game one. Uh Jay Crowder had one point. And uh, what was it? I think he missed a whole bunch of shots. I think he was like 0 for 8 or something like that. Had one point, but his box plus minus was plus 19. So I'm like, well, I don't exactly. know how you, I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't, you gave us one point. You missed every shot except for a free throw. But you, we were 19 points better with you on the floor. Like, that doesn't, like, I don't, I can't, I can't assume that's all defense. I don't know what, what else he did in terms of like assist or whatever, but I just like that type of stuff stands out to me. So when people try to throw numbers like, all right, well, he ranks, you know, in usage rate, he's this. And then I'm like, well, I, I don't know what any of this stuff means until it becomes so crazy. Like they said, Luca had a 45% usage rate. I'm like, damn, okay. Because I know for, for James Harden at his peak when he was going the nuttest pause in Houston, mm -hmm his usage rate was like 39, 40%. So I'm like, okay, if you're telling me that's OD and Luca's doing five, 6% more than that, okay, that at least lets me know how crazy that is. But if you just ask me, what does usage rate mean? I have no idea. I just assume it's somebody that handles the ball a lot and that's about it. But I don't know if there needs to be a whole metric around it. Yeah, I, I started to know about usage rate when LeBron was in Miami okay. because LeBron's usage rate was so high. But I guess it's just more so the percentage of plays involving that guy. 
but LeBron has to be LeBron's usage rate is always going to be high. It's always going to be high because he's, yeah. he's initiating everything. Correct. Yep. So that's when I started to look at you know usage rate in that kind of way, but also because LeBron literally can't be off the floor for two minutes without the team collapsing. So right. you, you needed him on the floor at every moment. So that's when I started kind of looking at usage rate. Speaking of LeBron, you are mm-hmm. a still a current day Laker fan, correct? I'm, I'd say I'm a LeBron stand. I You're a LeBron you know stand. Okay, okay. E- even better. Even better. Okay, so I'm now making you Rob Palenka. How does Bron get chip number five next year? I haven't thought much about it. I looked at Kimba I Walker. actually thought I love Kimba. Rice High School. So I'm always going to rock with Kimba. BX. <laughs> um, I actually thought last year, I thought they made some decent moves. You know, when you get Marcus Saul, I'm like, okay, Montrez Harrell, okay, Schroeder, okay. I thought those were some decent moves in a very short offseason. But it obviously didn't mesh well, and then injuries happen, and I still will contend, hey, they had a very short turnaround time right. from winning that championship in the bubble to the season. And I kind of said, LeBron kind of knows. I, I give LeBron credit. In terms of, I think sometimes LeBron just knows I don't have this team. We're not going to do it this year. Mm. And he's not going to kill himself. Because when I watched that Sun series, I could kind of tell he's not, LeBron's not 100% into this. I don't, I can't, I can't say that because I don't know what's in somebody's mind, but I think he knew AD's out. I'm 75%. Right. The team is bricking. Schroeder's not good. <laughs> Andre Drummond can't be on the floor. We're not. We're, this is just not it. Let's just recoup. And he needs that time off. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think, and I, I, I tweeted it. I was like, yo, LeBron doesn't mind losing in the first round this year. He needs that time off. He's in year going into year, what, 19? Right. He needed that break. He's like from Miami to now. He's been in every NBA, almost every, every NBA finals. All the He needs a break. So I was like, LeBron is going to take a break after this bubble season and everything. And I believe next year he'll come back pretty good. I think you have to make sure AD is the question mark. And I was surprised. I was, I was surprised, but, you know, that break really did help AD a lot. Yeah. Being off almost three months because he has had an injury-prone career when he was with the Pelicans. And I thought when he got to the Lakers – you got to be ready. He may get hurt. He may not be available all the time. But that break made him fresh, and he had that playoff run, and nothing happened. And then this season, again, I think the short season, it affected a lot. And I think something has to be said for that. I'm not making excuses. I don't believe in putting asterisks next to anything. But, my God, they literally had a month off <laughs> between the bubble and the season starting. You have, something has to be said for that, in my opinion. Well, I, I, I definitely want to respond to that, but I, I, I think you said something that that piqued my interest even more. So, regardless of who wins this championship this year, you're not putting an asterisk on it. No, no, I, I don't think I don't like when people do that. I, I just you how? Well, how can you put an asterisk next to anything? I mean, this no, I understand why you, people may do it, but I just for me, I don't get it. Like, even if you compare. People told me to put an asterisk on the bubble season, right? But then this season was such a short turnaround. How can you not? If you're going to put an asterisk on the bubble season, at least people had time off to heal and were fresh coming into the bubble. 
Yeah. This year, a lot of guys weren't fresh at all. Yeah. So I, where's the balance of when you put an asterisk next to anything? Agreed. No, I, I get that. I'm definitely more prone to give an asterisk this year than last year. I wasn't. I was very pro bubble. I loved the basketball in the bubble, the sight lines, guys able to shoot the lights out. I was very, I think that was high level basketball we saw in the bubble because dudes just had nothing to do but hoop. Like they just were locked in this facility. Your only job is to hoop. There was no distractions. I mean, it was a couple of dudes trying to sneak some, some joints in, but I mean, in terms of everyone was there locked in for one in, in one singular focus. So I thought it was great basketball. Whereas this year, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on them, but let, let's look at Phoenix's run. They faced, they were down 2-1 before AD got hurt, and then they were able mm-hmm. to finish off LeBron and them. They mm-hmm. go face the Nuggets without, I feel, their best player, or for the most part, people think their second best player in Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the Western Conference Finals, and they face the Clippers without Kawhi yeah. Leonard, their best player. So it's like, all right, you won the chip. I mean, you did what you're supposed to do. Now they might, I mean, they're facing a, a hobbled Giannis in the in the finals. So it's like y'all really have fa- faced diminished opponents every step of the way. Like I can't think of a champion if, that's done that before. If we're gonna do that, then we look at the Warriors in 2015. I mean, if we're, we're gonna do that, we did preaching we to the choir now. And, you are preaching to the choir. But do you really want to go back in history and analyze every single NBA Finals of this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened? I'm here for it. This is this asterisk on a lot of championships, most likely, or a lot of you know playoff runs and wins. And I look at Kawhi. Kawhi. Kawhi gets all the glory. I said, I said, hey, it was a great run in Toronto, but you got to the finals. KD was hurt. Clay was hurt. They right. were decimated. Right. But you got to give them the respect of getting a championship. I, so yeah. I, I just. I, th- I, th- we can, I, we I think the respect will be given. I think the respect is given. Like, I, I, obviously, if if the point fraud and the Suns win this chip, no one's going to take the ring away, right? Like, we'll all acknowledge the ring. But I think when when we talk about champions and how do teams measure up and who's the best team of the last whatever decade and all that type of stuff, I think that's where that type of stuff comes into play because like no one brings up that 04 Pistons team. Like, no one brings that team up as, like, oh, that was such a great team. It was like, nah, they faced a dysfunctional Lakers squad with four Hall of Famers who were all trying to kill each other, and they were able to steal a championship. I can't say that. I think I think Detroit is full credit for that championship. I mean, they did the job. They they beat the Lake Show. But, I mean, Carl Malone's talking about smashing Kobe's wife, you know, Shaq is old and fat, flabby and sick. GP's a shell of his former self. Like we got gassed off that team, but I mean yeah. that, no, that that Pistons team as a whole, we're not putting them up against any of the other teams that won championships that decade. We're not putting up against the the Bron Heat or any of the other teams, the the Kawhi and Duncan Spurs. We're not putting them up against any of those squads that won championships that decade or no. That, the, that that was the one. And then in the 2011 Mavericks, the anomalies that kind of right. snuck in a, a decade with super, or even though Dirk is a superstar. But yeah, I mean, those are probably the two teams that you look at and say, hey, you know, that was weird. And the era dominated by Kobe and Shaq and LeBron and the Currys and these two teams snuck in there. And I get what you're saying, but I think, you know, Detroit, they just, they bust their ass. They certainly did. They certainly did. I, 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 I never it. dispute that. But I'm just saying, in, in the sense of, if 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 the Suns pull this off, 
we can look at their track record of how they got there and we can we can definitely have a conversation about how they got there and how the path might have been significantly harder if it wasn't for all these injuries. When you look at yeah, that, of, of course, I don't think like, we'll remember the Suns team. I we won't remember the Suns team. And well, I, I think because Chris Paul will remember the story of Chris Paul if they win this championship. Badly. But yeah, we won't remember the Suns team in that way because this this decade was dominated by the Warriors and LeBron, and we'll remember those. I won't remember the Suns snuck in and got them. I remember it because Chris Paul did it. But yeah, you're right. In, in that way, I won't remember the team in that way. You know? and, and, and the Warriors' whole dynasty to me is, is fraudulent because that first chip, it was basically Bron and a bunch of dudes because Kevin Love and Kyrie both got hurt. So they beat a, a hampered LeBron. Then they came back the next year, blew a 3-1 lead because Draymond couldn't stop punching people in the nuts. And then he had to go cry in the parking lot to get <laughs> KD to come through for them to finally be able to beat LeBron at full strength because they just overwhelmed everybody with Kevin Durant on their squad now. So that's why I put that whole warrior thing as the whole dynasty is fraudulent. I don't, I can't go there. I can't go there. When you win 73 games, I, I can't go and there. They, yes, and they, they lost. lost. And they, they, lost. They, they did lose. They did lose. They did lose. But I, I can't go there. Even as much as, as happy as it made me to see LeBron beat that team, I can't, I can't go there. Even 2015. In 2015, I honestly, I, I really wanted LeBron to win that one because that would have been a crazy championship to win and win a team in that one. I, I still look at that and look at the games he had from game two and all. It was amazing. And he still took um, it to six, right? They they, they, they lost in six. Went to, right? went to six games. But when that game two, game three, wow. Right. Hey, I, I watch those highlights sometimes like, yo, he was cooking them boys. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, no, nah, I, I can't. I can't go there with Golden State. They they did change basketball in a lot of ways. They, I mean, how many teams tried to replicate that formula? I mean, of three point shooting and had to keep up. And I mean, they they literally Steph. You could give it to Steph by himself, but I mean, they they changed the game completely. They changed the NBA, and I don't think anybody would forget that. And I think that's where you have to give them that respect in the I, run that they've had. I take that term and I flip it here. I say they ruined basketball. I say Steph's, you can, Steph's, people Steph's have Warriors made, have, have ruined basketball because of that. that people have made those game. arguments. Yeah, it's, people it's, have made those arguments that the mid-range game is gone and certain guys don't want to do it anymore. And you, you can't have a big man back to the basket kind of game anymore, which is which sucks. They, they, yeah, they, you can, they hit the jackpot by falling into having arguably the best shooter of all time and the second best shooter of all time. And then they went and go signed the third best shooter of all time of this era. They all, they maximized this revolutionary tactic of our threes are more than your twos by just signing the three best shooters. But yeah, but no, but can you, you can't mimic can you, that. Can you say they hit a jackpot? Because remember when Steph, I remember when Steph got drafted, Monte Ellis was still there. Correct. And I would have thought Monte Ellis would have stayed, you know what I'm saying, at that time. They had to get him out of there. Right. And then Steph was having ankle injuries for a long time where you probably question, yeah, yeah, you probably question, yo, is he ever going to be healthy? And Clay, I remember dude watching Clay at at Washington State, and I was like, yo, he's nice. But Clay slipped, what, like 14? Or he slipped late. So I don't know, you know, and then Steve Kerr came in and changed everything up. We know Mark Jackson got played, unfortunately. Facts. But... You know, Steve Kerr came in and opened that thing up, so I can't say that they looked into it. I think that was just good team building. 
Nobody I mean, saw this you coming. You think they really thought that they were drafting Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to be the arguably the two greatest shooters of all time? No, no, no. But I, no, no, I'm sorry. I guess I misinterpreted what you said in terms of the jackpot theory. What I'm saying is they built this team from scratch and they oh, developed sure. these guys. Oh, for sure. And I think yes. you have to look at it I'll that give way. Them that. Like, hey, yeah. You know, they they did it in a different way. You know, they didn't really do. I mean, they signed Iguodala. You know, they did little signings here and there. The scrap heat. Livingston. Yeah. They drafted Draymond. You know, so I, I, the way they built that team up from out of nowhere, I think you always got to give them credit and I, how they changed the game in that way. I, I will give them credit for for viewing basketball differently, for predicating the three, a weapon that's you know, low-key kind of been under underutilized before that point. It was more of a, a niche type thing. I'll give them credit for mm. that. But I think mm. in the rush to give them props, people, again, jumped out the window. And, you know, mm. they, they did some of it themselves by saying they're revolutionizing basketball. And while I think they did, I think they did it for the worst because not every team thinks if we just keep jacking up threes, some of them are going to go in, and that'll be better than, you know, establishing a flow and a system that can continuously get his buckets inside the three point line. Yeah. So that's that that that's the problem to me. It's like if you got those types of shooters, word, yeah, bombs away. Hell yeah, pull from the logo, word. But not every team can find that. But now we're trying to teach guys to be that. And I'm just like, yeah, but nah, that's not you can't just teach someone to pull from the logo like Dane's been shooting from the logo for years he didn't just fall upon that like that was in his arsenal damn near out the gate so it's like yeah you can teach that but you're not going to teach pj tucker to now pull from the logo he's going to be in that (laughs) corner he's going to do what he's always done like that's just what his game is interesting interesting well let me see um, I got, I guess, let me see. I got one more. I, I'll, I'll let you pick. Cause they, I'm telling you, there, there's some stuff in this Nets book, um, that, you know, I, I got into it heavy today, but I would love to get your, your thought process on it because I know, uh, you, you know how this industry works and how team sports work. So we talked about them paying for girlfriends, apartments, allegedly. Um, let's talk about what, what other part? Can we oh, Kyrie. Allegedly, Kyrie left Boston in part because of multiple conversations one-on-one with Bill Russell. Does that interest you? Yeah, well, I'm, what, what were the conversations about? Did it involve the R word? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, yes. We, we, okay, yeah, well, then I, I, yeah, well, I think Bill Russell knows better than anybody going, going through that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they, uh, it, it was said in the book that, you know, uh, KD and Kyrie were holding these secret open runs with net players and just other guys. Harden pulled up a couple times or whatever uh, it, it, during the, the uh, pausing of the regular season last year. And, uh, and also, I think the year before that. So one of these times, apparently, Bill Russell was just chilling. Like, he was pulling up to all the open runs and just kind of just hanging out and, and watching guys hoop. And in that process, he would have these conversations with Kyrie when Kyrie was still a Celtic and trying to figure it out. And he would be, I guess, having Bill Russell as a soundboard. So he would just go to him and like, yo, look, this is what I'm going through up there. You know, like he basically was on on the type of time of 
I want to be there. I just don't understand why I'm going through all this stuff while I'm up there. And I guess Bill Russell was like, well, pull up a chair, son. I got some stories for you. And kind of gave him the deal of how it was up there that despite 11 championships, you know, people broke into his house and took a shit on his bed. You know what I'm saying? Like he gave, he gave him those, those types of stories and that kind of planted the seed in Kyrie's mind to be like, Oh damn, maybe I need to get the fuck up out of there. So that that's been, I think a low key bombshell that's been kind of planted in this book that, we all thought it was just, you know, Kyrie player empowerment and da 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 da. And he's insinuated that there was some family stuff. And apparently his grandfather had passed during this same time frame. So he went through the mm. passing of his grandfather and then he's chopping it up with Bill Russell. And Bill Russell's telling him all the shit he had to endure on the way to 11 championships in Boston. And that just kind of, you know, I guess that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And he was like, yo, I got to go. Wow. Yeah. And that's the part that people aren't talking about. Because, I mean, like, Boston always cops please about how they're not as bad as they're made to be. This is arguably the greatest player of your franchise's existence. Basically telling a, a future budding star, get the hell out of there while you can. That's huge to me. <laughs> that is. That is. I. That is a big one. So, but you know, you know, it's not as sexy as, you know, teams playing for <clears throat> girlfriends' apartments or, you know, Steve Nash not having a lot of say, which is obvious because why would he have say? But, you know, that to me, I was like, ooh, that storyline, though, I need to know more about that. No, yeah, no, I, that's interesting. I definitely need to to, to go and, and, you know, I, I know I saw the interview with, with Levitard, and I, I yeah. think, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's dude that wrote the book, but. I do want to go yeah, back. Yeah, it was him. That, that was, I think, uh, okay. Matt, Matt Sullivan or something like Sullivan, that. Sullivan, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so I did see some of that. So I need to go back and look at that. But that is interesting with the, the Bill Russell angle. But, I mean, what does anybody expect? I mean. Facts. It's Boston. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. That I just don't understand why people get so offended by it. It's, it's just, hey, man, <laughs> we've seen enough right. to know. right. By now that this brothers don't feel too comfortable in Boston, it's, 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 it is what it is. It's 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 way it's, it's way too much history. It's way too much. I mean, yeah, the, the fact that they they broke into this man's house, went to his bedroom and took a shit on it. Like what? Like you you hate this man is is on the way. I mean, it wasn't at the end of his eleven championships, but he's on the way to bringing you championships, and that's how you respond. Like, can you imagine, like, obviously, I don't think that would happen today. But, I mean, just imagine if, I mean, we saw what happened when they tried to spray N-word on, on LeBron's crib. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, the, the firestorm that came with that. Imagine if someone was able to get into the crib and then take a shit on LeBron's bed. Like, what? It would be insane, insane, bro. But, you know, they're, they're, they're not racist. They're, they're misunderstood. They're, like, come on, son. Like, who are you for? It's, it's, yeah, Boston, Boston got the issues. Got his issues. <laughs> for sure. Well, yo, Cash, uh, I, I appreciate you for coming on. I'll, I'll give out your socials one more time on Twitter, at CFLEM, F-L-E-M, 88. On Twitter, follow me. He's a good follow there. Also on IG, highlight him, Q-I-N, Juice, J-U-I-C-E. On Instagram, he, he was kind enough to give us some time. Um he gave us some financial information that I think is vital. His, his background, his story there, I think is important. 
And then we just got into just two homies talking ball. And I think that's something me and you have always been able to do. And one day, one day, we will have that Kendrick conversation. I don't think tonight is the night, but one day <laughs> I'm going to have that, that Kendrick conversation. I think that's the one that will really set this conversation off because, oh, man, when you hit me with that one, I was like, oh, man, I wish. But I said, I, I know we can't do that now. But sometime in the very near future, we, I'd love to have you back. We can have that Kendrick conversation. Yeah, no, we we can definitely have it. We can definitely have it. I know it's it's not the popular it's not a popular opinion with, with a lot of things, but it's yeah. not even a bad opinion. That's the crazy part about this climate today. I'm actually giving somebody props, and it's like I'm hating. I just don't understand it. So you know. Okay, well, I I, I won't go into it, but I'll just ask this question: Does Nas have more classic albums than Kendrick? You really gonna put me on the spot <laughs> right now, like this? Uh, it's 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 just a simple question, just as a tease for, for, for the next time you pull up, so people understand what type of time we're gonna be on the next time you pull up. I'm gonna say yes, Woo! and I'll leave it. There we go. I, I, I wanted that real answer. Okay, so now y'all know the next that. time Cash pulls up, that's topic one. <laughs> that, that that that's the A block. That's right where we're going. <laughs> All right. So, Cash, thank you so much for, for pulling up, man. I, I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you, fan. That was fun, bro.